Welcome to the latest episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy Williams. And I'm your other co-host, Emily Horgan. Joe Redfern is on leave this week. No, she's not. She's actually working, but she wasn't able to join us. So uh, yeah. we're happy to be here. Yeah, hopefully we won't break the podcast while she's away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sorry, Joe. Yeah. For, any, for anyone new to the podcast, the Kids Media Club podcast looks at the world of kids media covering everything from animation technology and streamers. For our guest today, luck is a key theme and we feel incredibly lucky to have him on the podcast today. Andy Nairn is founder and partner of Lucky Generals and they've created fantastic campaigns for the likes of Amazon, Yorkshire Tea and Virgin Atlantic among many others. And he's also the author of Go Luck Yourself, a book on 40 ways to increase your advertising and marketing luck. And sometimes kid media feels like it could increase its luck, so we thought we'd take a leaf from his book and invite someone outside of kid media for a chat. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you doing? Thanks uh, very much for having me on. So before we start, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you got started? Yeah, sure. So I sort of, um, appropriately enough, I sort of stumbled into... Uh, this world through luck, really. Um, so that's, that's going to be a common theme, I'm the, afraid. The writing in this yeah. episode is just obscene so far, straight out the gate, guys. It, it was a sort of a really sort of ridiculous thing because, like a lot of kids, I sort of grew up not knowing really what I wanted to do. I, I, and, I actually ended up doing law at university because, uh, not with any intention of being a lawyer, but because it felt like a good degree to get, I guess, if you don't know what you really want to do. And then, and towards the end of that, I. Um, I started to realise that I didn't, I, I liked lots of aspects of law and I knew that I, but I knew I really didn't want to be sort of, uh, I felt like it was going to be a bit boring and corporate being a lawyer. So I spoke to my tutor. And now the weird thing is this tutor, this guy who was teaching me, was, who was wonderful at the time, has now gone on to be a fabulously successful author um, in his own right. Um, in fact, actually he's written a lot of kids books. He's a guy called Alexander McCall Smith. Oh, wow. And he, he's, uh, but at the time he was just, you know, he was my law tutor. And so I, f- I feel like he took his own advice. He told me, you know, you should be more creative. And, um, you know, how, how about this thing called advertising, which I'd never really thought of before, because he sort of said, you, you're really using, you'll, you'll be able to use all the things you like about law, which is putting, you know, a case together for a client and, you know, being persuasive, um, but you'll do it in a more creative and interesting environment. So, so I, I wholeheartedly say that you should be more creative. But then I think what he did was then bugger off and sort of, <laughs> Apply on an ever more and much more successful scale by um, writing all these books and becoming a sort of a smash hit in his own right. And um, but yeah, I, I fell into advertising. I, I'd never thought of it before, and it turned out I really loved it because it's it's all about people and what makes them tick. So then, going on to the your book, what kind of why did you decide to write that? Was it that was there a kind of a writing itch that you kind of felt like you really needed to? Uh, scratch, almost going back to that kind of initial kind of chat with your teacher? Yeah, I think it was. It was like um, I was a classic lockdown itch. It was at the beginning of lockdown, I had this foolish idea, which now we can all look back and laugh on, where I, th- I, th- I was worried that I was going to have too much time on my hands. You, do you remember it was kind of like yeah. a crazy time back then? You, I, I sort of had this image that I'd be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, and of course it turned out to be, you know, probably for everyone, the opposite of that. You know, we were all probably busier than we'd ever been, but I, I sort of I thought, I'm going to be idle here, and I, I usually like to be busy doing stuff. And I just look back, you know, at my career, and obviously since that, 
very serendipitous chat with my tutor. 30 years on, I've you know, um, had a successful career in advertising and thought, but actually I have been lucky all along the way. And I, I was very conscious that we were in a world that was full of bad luck at the time. You know, we were all yeah. going through this pandemic that none of us had asked for. And also there was a lot of other big serious stuff going on in the world. Um, which I'd been sort of somewhat shielded by because I've, I'm, I tick off every box going like I'm an older, white, straight, able-bodied bloke. And so lots of the stories in the world at that time seemed to be about luck, you know, but, you know, a lot of the time about bad luck or good luck or privilege. And, and I sort of thought, God, yeah, do you know what? Stop feeling sorry for yourself sitting at home. You've actually been really lucky. Why don't you try and find a way to share your luck with other people, write a book? And all the proceeds from the book, all the royalties, go to a cause that helps working class kids get a lucky break into the creative industry. So there was a bit of karma Great. going on. I really notice how that shifts quite a lot in terms of the amount of representation of working class kids, I think, uh, in advertising and TV. So the more that can be done to support that, I think, the better, really. Yeah, that, that's right. I just felt really um, passionate about that and it seemed like a good idea. Of course, what then happened was by the time I realised I was actually going to be horrendously busy, it was too late because I'd sort of sold this idea to a publisher and I, and I had an editor demanding <laughs> chapters every week and it was a bit of a nightmare. But um, so that you know, wasn't so lucky. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just have to then uh, go with it. And it's been a really, it's been a really interesting process, actually. No, that's so funny. Like, yeah, but it's good though because he, like that's what motivates you to get over that hump, right? Exactly. Sometimes we all need to have a bit of uh, external accountability to get yourself there. Um, yes. I love the way the book is laid out, and like all the individual lessons, it's very digestible. Um, you. Very, uh, and you know, I would say touching on that point, you know, but the young people, but you know, it's an easy one to like kind of pick up, put down. It's not like it's not like a educational or a thesis kind of thing. It's much more like, oh, okay, let me just check that. Um, can you choose your children? What is the most important lesson in the book? What do you think? What, or oh, or yeah. maybe one that you might think would be relevant for listeners of this podcast in terms of kids? Well, yeah, no, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, choosing, um, choosing individual chapters. I think one of the things is, I, I guess, would be pretty um, helpful to, um, or relevant to this podcast, is um, learning lessons from storytelling. Um, so what, one of the things I talk about in the book is that, you know, lots of um, lots of brands these days talk about storytelling, um, but they they forget what the basic tenets of a great story are. And actually, you know, the, we learn those lessons and we grow up with stories as kids and the best kids brands, you know, people like Disney or Pixar, you know, have, have just got this off to a brilliant um, tea, you know, going back to Roald Dahl and all these other sort of um, great favourites we've all grown up with. Um, and a lot of it comes back to jeopardy, I think. Um, so uh, learning that, um, you know, you have to have a, some conflict in the story, even for kids, you know, that kids don't like stories that are airbrushed or um, present an image of the world that we as grown-ups would like them to see. They, they like horrible characters and mm -hmm. they like unpleasant things happening and they like um, you know, tension and thwarted ambitions and, and, and you have to have a little bit of grit in your um, story um, for kids for it to really take off um, with them. And I think that's a bigger, um, a bigger lesson for brands generally, but, but I, I think a lot of uh, things that grown-up brands um, are, are grappling with are, are probably quite well borne out by kids' media and kids' stories. 
Um, so that's yeah. kind of an example of you know, one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is about learning from other disciplines or other parts of life. We shouldn't just sit um, thinking about business, uh, you know, in the very conventional sense all the time. You know, what can we learn from a great storyteller like um, Roald Dahl or um, like um, from the, the Frozen franchise or, or whatever? There's always lots of things we can learn. That's interesting. And one of the one of the um, the strategies that you talk about in the in your book is about the power of of local of a kind of a local voice and a kind of a, an authentic local tone of voice. Whereas often in kids media, because it ends up being quite international in scope, um, that's there's there's sometimes the the impulse to kind of to smooth out those. Um, those local differences and make something that's kind of more um, general and international, really. But could you talk about the example that you gave in terms of the power of locality, which I think is around um, Yorkshire Tea and how your kind of the campaign was literally rooted in in it being quite local, but still managed to be very accessible and appealing uh, across the country. Yeah. So the point I make in the book, so the general point is that um, if you come from a um, an interesting place or just from a specific place, you, you're lucky. That's a exciting and interesting thing. But often we don't appreciate how lucky we are. I bet none of us, you know, when, when we grow up somewhere, we're not, um, you know, we don't dwell too much on how wonderful the place that we is that we grew up it's a human trait isn't it and and often it takes someone else to come from outside and go oh my god you this is where you live this is why why have you never told us about this and you just think well yeah it's just my my hometown and in fact if anything quite a lot of the time especially as brands we're sort of self-conscious because we as you say we we would know that we're in a global market and we don't want to uh, over egg the place that we're from because maybe that'll limit our um, appeal and so we work with Yorkshire Tea um, for instance and you could say that you, you know that's a very specific brand name and they traditionally were a very local regional um, player and you know maybe we shouldn't dial up Yorkshireness because um, that might put other people off not least in people in Lancashire for instance um, all those kind <laughs> of uh, rivalries um, but actually what they've very wisely sort of um, you know with us uh, embraced is the fact that if you come from a specific place very often it it has a bigger spirit that other people can relate to. So in this case, it's about doing things proper. So that's our idea for Yorkshire. And you don't have to be from Yorkshire to recognise that um, this is a place where everything's done proper. That's the line where everything's done proper. And it's actually catapulted that brand from being a distant third in the marketplace to being number one because they've recognised that the spirit of Yorkshire doesn't have to be quite the same as, you know, um, literal, the, the, the physical place. And, and I love that. And I think, again, sort of thinking of, um, you know, uh, media franchises and things like that. I was speaking to the um, uh, the writer of Dairy Girls um, oh, yeah. a little while ago. And she, she's absolutely amazing. And she was... Um, she was sort of saying that, and I was just sort of saying how how um, accessible, how sort of easy it was to connect. Universal, that show was, yeah. And what she said was a brilliant thing. I love this. She said, um, yeah, she said, I'm so glad you say that because people often say, you know, um, it's a show about the troubles, you know, it's amazing how that's connected. She says, yeah, but I wrote it. Yes, it's set in the troubles, but I, the troubles that I'm really talking about are the troubles that every kid goes through when they're growing up. And that's what makes it universal. And of course, that's completely true. So, you know, even a very specific moment in time or place can be something that is 
absolutely you know connects on a human level that's what you yeah, yeah. so we're all crazy we're all teenagers doing bonkers stuff for exactly bonkers logic at one stage um and not, not to play a uh, kids media podcast bingo but uh this makes me we always there's certain things we always talk about nearly every single episode and this reminds me of bluey right so bluey yeah i'm not sure Andy, it's, it's, it's a series uh based in australia it's kind of one of the, it's a key preschool series taking over the world um right now and it's definitely a really good example of that i think of like it is utterly local it's it's very australian like the, like the accents the the kind of the turn of phrase the setting um and yet it kind of connects with families on the kind of universal universality of being in a family and like again like the kind of stupid stuff that you'd say in your family that like you would never say professionally on a podcast for example <laughs> right so like you know it's 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 kind of that universality so like yeah that kind of the power of of taking something that's local and that kind of makes gives it an appeal but it actually just it amplifies how universal some of the things that we're all dealing with absolutely and 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 bluey's kind of occupied the space that was previously taken by peppa pig um mm. so bluey has kind of seized peppa pig's crown but in a way Bluey and Peppa Pig both have that element to it. I remember I worked in Nickelodeon um, when Peppa Pig was at its kind of height. And there was a period where Nickelodeon in the States decided to redub Peppa Pig into American voices mm. because they felt that the very English intonation and accent wasn't going to travel. Um, but what was interesting was that, for instance, Daddy Pig said with an American accent ends up having a very different kind of rhythm and intonation. Mm. And so the writing kind of didn't work as well with mm. an American voice. And it didn't, it, didn't, uh, it didn't work as well in the States with an American voice. So they ended up bringing it back with the original English voices. And then it was a big hit to the point where um, the American tabloids would complain that parents would be up in arms that their children were speaking with uh, with English accents. So, yeah, that's, that's so that's a really good kind of parallel in terms of kids' media, of the power of local. But there is, again, as you were saying, I think within um, kids' media, there's probably more of a, what's the word, a caution or a conservatism about maybe we should just stick with a kind of a transatlantic quite kind mm. of... Um, but the, the, weird, the weird thing is, it's funny, isn't it? Because this is the most global generation ever. And, you know, if you look at their choices, you know, whether it's, um, you know, music or, you know, food, you know, the, the, the food that kids eat today, I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes it might be sort of um, more sort of uh, mundane, um, but, but quite often they're much more adventurous, certainly, than I was as a kid. And they might, you know, you know, I'd never heard of sushi, let alone even, you know, experienced it or tried it. And I'm not saying that all kids are doing that either, but um, I just feel like there's there's a world now that kids have got so much more access to so many different cultures. And and to your point about, you know, that lo if, you, if you've got a local point of difference, hang on to it, you know, because you're lucky to have it. And if you don't appreciate how lucky you are to have it and you, you trade it off for some sort of vanilla transatlantic um, thing, then all you're doing is getting rid of one more thing that might help you make 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 it stand out. Um, yeah, and, yeah. You know, then you just become like everyone else, and you, it's going to be a lot harder for you to get that traction that you need. Yeah, absolutely. I had another question that I wanted to ask you that 
isn't specifically related to the kids, but whether there was one client that you've worked with that has had the most impact on you in terms of kind of a lesson learned or um, something that you really kind of remembered. Positive and negative word. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that really is choosing my favorite children now because that's, that's going to really um, well, annoy yeah. someone. So, but, um, so you, can, you can dodge that question if you want. No, don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I might choose somebody that I don't work with anymore. So it's not, um, it's, I'm uh, not uh, insulting my current clients, but some, someone that was very instrumental at one point in my career was we worked with Hovis, which is you know the um, obviously the hugely successful bread brand, but at the time it was having a real problem because um, it was uh, seen as being very old-fashioned, and actually their advertising was uh, famously old-fashioned. It's one of the most famous ads in British um, advertising history. Probably, probably even perhaps the most famous ad was the the story of the the boy pushing a bike up a cobbled street yep. um, on his way home with a loaf of bread and it was shot by Ridley Scott in the 70s and even though it's not run for you know 40 or 50 years everyone remembers this ad and can you know, hum you the music and the music I was going to say I can hear the music in my head you mentioned that that ad in a focus group and everyone starts going mm-hmm, <laughs> and all, you know it's like no be quiet don't think about that so, <laughs> and it was seen as this sort of curse because it was very famous but dragging it and very old-fashioned of course bread is one of these characters where now um it's changed massively so that kids and families are not just eating brown bread anymore, which is what Hovis was. Um, uh, and that loaf wasn't even sliced, you know, so that was proper old-fashioned bread. Now kids are eating, you know, um, all sorts of different formats and bagels and um, thins and all that kind of stuff. So it was seen as being a bit of a curse. And we were These told... days and the breads they have, <laughs> oh my <Right>. word. <laughs> exactly. And so, we, again, it was another one of these things where... We were told, whatever you do, don't go anywhere near history, because that is the thing that's killing us right now. And they had done lots of, you know, they'd attempted to do lots of advertising for decades, really, that was sort of trying to scream, we're modern, you know, using animation or, you know, un untraditional families or um, just kind of really screaming and trying very hard to be modern. And again, that's something that people see through, I mean, kids see through that horrendously, don't they, when you try and <laughs> yeah. be the dad at the disco sort of... Um, dressing up and trying to be down with the kids. And and we sort of thought, yes, again, if you've got a history, so if you've got a provenance, you're lucky. If you've got, a, if you come from a local place, but if you've got a history, you're lucky, you should embrace it. Obviously you need to find a way to bring it up to date, um, but um, let's embrace our history. And that was the sort of breakthrough. So we, we had this idea, we thought, well, we, everyone's talking about this ad from 50 years ago, we might as well have another ad with a boy in it, because that's a sort of an asset that we can sort of build around. Mm. But let's have our boy is going to be buying the loaf of bread back in the 1800s, and then he's going to run through British history, um, through all the great events, you know, the First World War, the Second World War, the miners' strike, England win the World Cup, all these other sort of um, things, all the way through to the current time, the millennium, with this loaf of bread under his arm, and he's going to come back into the present day, and the line at the end um, will be as good today as it's always been which was a kind of a variation on a line they'd used, you know, many, many years ago. And so anyway, the point was, it was based in history, I mean, screaming through history, but it took you into the current day. And that, you know, that was voted the, um, the British public's favourite ad of the decade uh, and was the most successful advertising campaign of the year that, that year. And, you know, it sold mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of bread um, by realising that if you've got a history, if you've got a backstory, you're lucky and um, don't throw it away again to try and do something bland and miller like everyone else.
That's, yeah, that, yeah, owners. That's amazing. I mean, Emily, we've kind of both worked at Disney, and Disney's one of those brands that, you know, has an incredible legacy and history. But when you were talking about the Hobie thing, one of the things that struck me is, so Disney's had a 100-year birthday recently, but mm. I was surprised how little that opportunity was kind of seized upon by Disney to really make a big fanfare about it. I mean, there, there, there was stuff about it, but but it was such a huge event. And likewise for the BBC, I felt both of them had an opportunity to to really dig back into their into their kind of past mm. and really to to celebrate that and draw a kind of continual line up to the present. But I think often with brands, there's that tension isn't there about the past and trying to stay relevant and how you negotiate that. Yeah. Do you know what, I, I, I'd hold my breath on Disney because I'd say they, they could go, knowing, knowing of them a, a wee bit, they could go big for Mickey's, Mickey's, Mickey's centenary, uh, mm. you know, because he's very much kind of the icon of the, of, of the company and, and they've always been very content-led. You know, yes. the, the brand has solidified because of the content. Um, but the thing I think is one of the things that's interesting about Disney and it's actually in the news recently as well is like that reinvention when you're talking of, you know, animated features to live action derivatives. So they started with Cinderella, they did Beauty and the Beast, they recently announced Moana, although Moana isn't necessarily, and I don't want to say it doesn't have the legacy because it is a huge film for children mm. right now. And it's it's a real modern classic. Mm. And, and trying to get that right, I think has been an interesting journey for them. You know, Pinocchio maybe didn't go so well. Um, uh, and and it's just it's it's it is a risk I suppose each time that you try to even if you're trying to stay authentic to yourself it's there's a real science or maybe it's not a science maybe it's just luck in trying to picking the picking the points that matter to be consistent with and then picking where you can play if you know yeah, what I mean absolutely and and I wonder whether it goes back to your point Andy where where you're talking about the the locality the uh, the the um the thing about being local and how that can still be universal is that you need it needs to be kind of consistent with the value that with sort of values that carry across so i think with disney where it's worked it's felt like it hasn't been there's been some kind of value underlying it and there's been a storytelling and creativity there um mm -hmm. sometimes with the live action for me where it doesn't work is if it feels like the only reason to do it is to because you don't have a live action version of it but the, there's no real kind of imperative beyond that to kind yeah. of to, to reinvent that story yeah i think that's right it's a, it's a, it's, as you say it's a tension and um you know these days i think brands are often quite conservative and worried um uh, and as i say i think what i've tried to do in the book is get people feeling more optimistic and realize it's again it's a, it's a truth of life this isn't it that if you there's a, there's a lot of research that shows this if you spend a moment each day to appreciate how lucky you are you actually do succeed more because you have a greater appreciation of the things that have got you where you've got and uh what most of us do in our lives personal lives and in business are a, we're too busy to take that moment to appreciate what you've got and b we're all always thinking about what what we might have, but we don't realise that the things that we've already got sitting right in front of us are often the things that um, 
we can use as assets to get where we want to mm. go. So yeah. don't, you know, if you've got a, an amazing character, if you've got an amazing history, if you come from an amazing place, you know, the, these are all incredibly useful things. You might be very familiar with them, um, but um, they, they might be things that we can repurpose um, for a new generation and, and do really well with. Yeah. Andy, I'd love to hear your 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 thoughts on newer platforms and, and how you advertise on newer platforms like TikTok, YouTube. You know, what lessons you feel could apply to, to, to apply there or whether, in fact, you think you need to be platform agnostic and just think about the story. I'd just love to hear your, your thoughts on that. So I generally think you need to be a little bit platform agnostic you know in the you know the, the you've got the story and then, and then of course you have to overlay on that where are our audience consuming media um these days so where can we reach them and you you have to tailor then to the platform um but i i feel also we should be cautious about um inventing too many rules i think one of the downsides of the platforms because they've got so much data at their fingertips is that they have been very um, hard on pushing um, the, the 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 law of averages. Let's say you know that because they can tell you um, in a way that probably traditional media could never really tell you that you know for you to be successful on our platform, you need to mention the brand's name in the first few seconds and the mm. the, the timeline. And I love the fact that a couple of um, episodes ago you talked about perhaps the um, fallacy that kids, for instance, are only interested in short form content and actually you know that there might be some truth in kids extension spans being a bit shorter but also they if you get long form content right that can also be really incredibly powerful so i think what what you have to do when you're working with a specific um platform is yes be aware of what on average works mm. then you've got to tell yourself we don't just want to create something average um, so we're going to have to break some of those rules. And then, I like that. I like that starting point. <laughs> well, and then, and then, as I think you were sort of saying earlier, you then you got to figure out which rules you break. I mean, if you, if you, because then if you if you break every single rule, probably the rules for a, a reason <laughs> that you're going to be uh, not working. But you know, then if you shake things up a bit, and that's what is going to probably create a big hit if you maybe observe some of the rules, but then. Um, do something different with uh, some of the other ones. And you know, that is the art form, I think. Interesting. And it kind of, this thought leads on from that because it feels like those TikTok and a lot of uh, the new platforms are places to have kind of dialogues and conversations with your potential audience or customers. Um, is Are there any kind of examples of strategies where you're not kind of going direct in terms of it being particularly silly, but it's more about cultivating, having kind of a conversation with your audience and on stuff that you know that they're interested in and trying to kind of make those connections? Yeah, sometimes you have to be, you know, have a bit of humility that people are not wanting to hear all about your product and they might want to hear something that's you know adjacent to your product um you know we we worked on a brand called kalua which we might all remember from our misspent youth it's it's that thing that sits in the back of our drinks covered uh, and, and actually the serious point to that is that nobody really wants we don't think about kalua on it on its own um and they had been positioning the brand on its own um uh in, in its own right as Kahlua and 
promoting its delicious taste. Now, uh, the, the line was delizioso. And if you've ever tasted Kahlua neat, you'll know that it's anything but delizioso. <laughs> it's um, more disgusting ozo, uh, frankly. <laughs> um, it's like cough medicine. But but what, what, what where it comes into its own is in cocktails. So we, we love it in cocktails, like in white Russian and stuff like that. And, and what we found was that um, cocktails is, are cool in the way that Kahlua is not in itself cool. Um, and also the cocktails that people are interested in um, sound like cult films, you know, like the White Russian or the Black mm. Russian um, or, you know, B-52 or, um, you know, uh, mud, Frozen Mudslide and, you know, uh, uh, Siberian Express. I mean, they just sound like amazing B-movies. Baby actually, Guinness. Oh. Sorry, which one? What was that? I said Baby Guinness. Baby Guinness is also the one. But there's so many great cocktails that are sort of, um, have got names like they could be cult movies. And we found that actually Kahlua had a history in cult movies, things like the um, Big Lebowski. Um, you know, so there was an association there already. And anyway, what we did was then we, the brief became, right, people are not necessarily interested literally in Kahlua, but they are interested in cult movies, the people that we were talking there. And so let's create a series of, you know, um, cult movie related stuff themed on um, the cocktails of Kahlua. So, you know, let's, you know, we created a movie, a four minute movie starring Jeff Bridges, who was in The Big Lebowski, called The White Russian. And it's kind of a very much a shaggy dog story where the Kahlua is sort of, you know, is in there, but it's not like forced that you're not being told all about how it's made with coffee and rum and all that kind of stuff. It's, 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 it's a prop, literally a prop in, in the film, as you would have with a cult film. Um, but but it does so in a really sort of um, you know uh, easy to consume kind of way that in the process of those four minutes you are actually getting uh, an amazing story told to you about Kahlua with Kahlua in the middle of it. But you're just it's just more digestible. It's you know you're not ramming it down people's throats. And I, I think that's the kind of the the trick, isn't it, is to work out what your audience are interested in. Um, quite often they're not massively interested in your actual product. Um, so you have to find a way of you know connecting with something that they are interested in. Interesting. That's that's great because one of the things that we've kind of discussed a bit here is that the challenge with a lot of the on-demand streaming platforms is that, particularly for a new show, um, it's quite difficult to get that discovered, um, and that becomes increasingly a challenge for preschool shows actually on streamers that often they're kind of chucked onto the platform, but it's not easy to, to have an audience kind of encounter that for the first time and discover it. And parents are probably more likely to, to default to shows that they're familiar with. So you get, so it's kind of tough for new shows. So, so is it, we're sort of interested in what strategies somebody might be able to apply to help a new show get discovered on a platform like that if it's not something that they'd ordinarily kind of just encounter when they turned on Netflix, say? I think that's such a good and also important question just beyond this conversation. I think it's a, actually a really important thing for society because a lot of the big breakthroughs, and one of the themes I talk about in the book is that the biggest breakthroughs in human endeavour, creativity, science, all those kind of fields, come a lot of the time from serendipity. It's when you stumble over something while you're in the course of doing another thing. Yep. Um, and um, unfortunately, one of the downsides now of um, our lives being ruled by algorithms is that we are kind of reducing the chance of serendipity because 
we are, and it makes sense to some degree because we're sort of uh, serving ourselves with the content and the facts and information that we know that we um, like, but we're not exposing ourselves to other interesting new stuff that we might like or that might inspire us. So we, we've lost that, I guess, in my, back in my day, the, the lovely joy of going to a record store and just yeah. having a rummage around, you know, the, the albums and finding something. We, we don't tend to find stuff, whether you're an adult or a kid these days, because we've already self-selected the things that we will end up finding. So um, we, as human beings, I think, have got to do better at... Uh, exposing ourselves to more random stuff and brands have got to try a bit harder too but I mean I think one of the things for kids for instance is like thinking right okay well to what degree is it always the kid that is the decision maker quite a lot of kids content I imagine the decision is somewhat made by the parent or at least if you can find a way to get through to the parent and suggest this as being a really great thing that the kid might like then they're the gatekeeper, so you, maybe you can yep. help them stumble on it and then get the kids to um, consume it too. Yeah, and I think that goes back to probably the popularity of Bluey, doesn't it, as well, Emily, that, that it had yeah. resonance with parents. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. And, you know, I, 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 in the, that is immediately makes me, also makes me think of brands like, I think of brands like uh, Star Wars and Marvel, you know, that, you know, the entry points there for parents to want to get their kids watching with them um, and appealing to the parents in preschool is is always welcome as a parent of a preschool mm. child. Thanks for not making content that makes me want to pull my own ears off. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a tough one, and that that neophobic that neophobic thing with kids is always is always like it's it's an inherent trait, you know. And so yeah. trying to jump that is is tough. Um, I think that you know one one of the major I've been given thought to this recently. One of the major bonuses of linear TV is obviously you've got your you've got your promotional feed. You know, even if you're BBC and you don't have ads, you got your promotional feed going. But more than that is you know, because there's a feed always going, people can drop into a show, okay? Mm. And I think my view is that the best way to sell video content, like a video, like a, like a TV series, is through video content, right? Like that's the easiest way to sell it. Mm. Um, and streaming now is just all so flat and, mm. you know, it's, 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 it's 2D images, right? So it's never going to be as compelling as video content and that linear channel flicking, oh, I, dro oh, I just watched this for five minutes and it's good. Where, where can I see more? Like, that's something we're really missing. I think that's part of the opportunity of fast in conjunction with streaming. Um, but yeah, it's, it, and, and that's, you know, obviously kids are discovering video content on TikTok and YouTube and stuff, but getting them to jump the user journey wall to a different app or platform to go and consume that is always, you know, that's, it's, it's always a barrier because, you know, they want to consume where they are, which, you know, I think that's the proliferation, proliferation of, of full episodes on YouTube. Um, mm. for kids content has been the right thing you know but it's uh, that's not you know YouTube aren't giving you the money for it though <laughs> to no, make it right. Yeah. <laughs> right so it's just this big yeah messy mess <laughs> I mean YouTube has ended up being kind of used by Netflix as you know primarily a marketing tool to yeah. drive people back to Netflix yeah but, and it always has been. I mean we, we did that at Disney I know other other platforms are doing that you know they don't want they're not getting the money off you, but they get so the advertising revenue is not peanuts, but it's still peanuts compared to what yeah. they'd be getting if they're monetizing that audience directly. So, um, or or servicing the audience directly. So it's it's always a, a promotional platform, but it's how do you get 
that's where kids are. Like, how do you get them over then? That's, yeah, and you can, but it's just a challenge. Uh, totally. And one of the things that's recently um, been kind of news for in kids' media is Sky Kids has moved from being an on-demand platform to um, being a linearly scheduled channel. So it's Yeah, two, both. Yeah, so it's kind of, there's an element where it's sort of back to the future, really. It's kind of... Yeah. Um, but the but what's interesting about that is that it gives certain tools for them to help kind of introduce new shows. I mean, one of the things, Andy, you talk about in your book is that just the power of owned media versus uh, bought media. Um, mm. And I think what you have with a linear scheduled uh, channel is that that's the media that you own that you can kind yeah. of promote and used to promote your own kind of brands. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, and again, a lot of the time brands don't realize how lucky they are to have owned media because maybe paid media is more exciting and glitzy and, you know, shiny and all the rest of it. But if you've got your own channel, that's that's an amazing place to promote formats or, um, and also again, address different audiences. I, rem- I remember one of the early things we did is when we started the agency was, um, uh, it was actually a kid's idea that my, uh, partner had an idea to do something um, to get kids to be more environmentally um, aware. Um, now that's obviously a big theme right now, but it's probably the sort of do-gooder theme that kids will hate if you ram it down their throats um, as a parent. Nobody wants to know about that. So, so again, you go back to first principles. You you create some jeopardy, and so we came up with this idea called Green Santa, where Santa was not going to be able to take off from the ice cap on his sledge. Um, if it was melting and then no one was going to get any presents. So it was a sort of a pretty horrible prospect for... That's good kids. motivation, yeah. I can yeah. That, <laughs> that, got them, that certainly got the little rascals uh, that got their attention. And they had to sort of combat this um, uh, through, you know, writing all the pledges. So it was kind of... That, that took off originally, I think, um, as a website where, you know, there was lots of information available and you could engage with the idea... Um, through that and it got a lot of PR because it was seen as kind of, you know, these Grinches who were taking away, um, green sort of Grinches that were taking away um, Christmas, but all for a good cause. And then, But then ITV commissioned it as a um, series, uh, actually it would become a BAFTA-nominated series um, based on the owned media, which was the, you know, on, of the, the website. And and so, it's, again, but it all goes back to this idea that, you know, you you need a compelling story with some jeopardy and conflict and tension in it. And then you can cut through all the kind of noise and maybe get talked about in a place that's not the platform that you originally want to get, mm. that you ultimately want to get people to go on, but you're just being talked about it in culture, you know, in the playground or at the school gate or elsewhere in life. Um, and that's the big win, isn't it? If you can transcend the platform that you ultimately are being watched on and get everybody talking about it. Yeah, I think that, and I, that, that's something I'm having discussions about with, with folks is, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have an own platform, you can create proof of concept there, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and, and that's a very compelling thing, I think, to be taking to commissioners currently because folks, you know, particularly glo- the global streamers I would, I would observe are, are, are a bit, um, you know, it's, they're, they're not in a great place to be taking a punt on something completely new, yeah. right? Like they, they'd be delighted to take a punt on something that's proven, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you see that with the proliferation of YouTube content onto, on, onto those platforms because they know that they've got the millions of views already. Please take this. Mm-hmm. It's 
proven. You, there's an audience there and everything. So, and even if there's not an audience there, there's proof that it's sticky with an audience. So, yeah, I think that's a, mm. it's an interesting, interesting angle for sure. Yeah, uh, Andy, you talked a bit in your book about um, using characters in terms of marketing, and because that's something that's you know the bread and butter of a lot of um, mm. kids' media. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what? what kind of strategy you sort of distilled from that in terms of use of characters? So characters are another good example um, of something that um, brand marketers often feel uh, they, don't, they don't appreciate how lucky they are to have a, uh, if you've got a brand character. In fact, again, it's often, if, you know, and there's lots of research on this, that they have fallen off a cliff in terms of how um, popular they are. They used to, you know, be massively popular as in our childhoods you know growing up in all brands would have their mascots or characters and they're really unpopular now and there's a there's you know probably a bunch of reasons sometimes you know the characters had you know sort of um uh you know ended up having sort of unfortunate sort of uh backstories or resonances you know they were kind of not not politically acceptable anymore or which is obviously you know completely right that they shouldn't um persist anymore but i think more generally, they were just seen as a bit old-fashioned and a bit clunky. It's a bit like the jingle, you know, that, you know, yeah. just didn't seem to be cool amongst advertising people. But the, the point is that they really, really still work amongst actual real people. So if you've, got an, if you've got a mascot or a brand that's associated, you know, a character that's associated with your brand, you should do everything possible to use them. Um, and I think the, the trick is to... Not just kill them off or ignore them, but you know, update and find a way of, uh, you know, making them, you know, bringing them bang up to date. And I think that's what a lot of smart brands have done. You know, even someone like I always use the example of um, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken's Colonel Colonel Sanders. <laughs> you know, who, who in in a lot of ways is probably the worst character ever because he's an old <laughs> old guy, sort of looks a bit like a Confederate general. Um, so you think, what was side of the war was he on? He's, he does not look like a cool icon for kids. But in America, the, an agency did an amazing campaign with him that totally reinvented him as a sort of a youth icon and had fun with the fact that he was old-fashioned and a bit out of it. Um, and it was, you know, just incredibly successful. So you can, I guess with a bit of creativity, you can take anybody um, and any character and sort of, invest a bit more meaning and update them and you're often better doing that than just binning them off altogether because we you know again human beings love characters don't they and familiarity as well and familiarity and then of course what you can do is take them into other arenas and other you know then then you can have physical characters you know in for events and you can go into cross platforms and it becomes recognizable mm -hmm. um and it's you know, more noticeable and more distinctive. Um, so if you've got a brand character, you know, oh my goodness, you're lucky, you should go for it. Great. With kids media, like I said, the, the brand characters kind of proliferate really. And I think sometimes they're sort of underused in terms of a marketing aspect to them. Yeah, I think about like, Mickey is, not a, is a tough one, I think as well, like, because you know, keeping him cool has been has been a journey that you know. And then you, you know, they went for the preschool series. It's been vastly successful and is a great entry point for kids into the brand. But then it's like, well, heck, but Mickey, you know, Mickey's a cultural icon. Like he's not just for for small children. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to kind of 
mapped that out is always uh yeah it's been a journey i'm sure yeah i think i think generally that's a kind of a challenge especially with children's brands and mm. stories isn't it how because of course the difference in one year at school is is can be big compared to and the, the year next to it sort of thing so um yeah the tone of voice can be difficult and a lot of the best franchises i think speak on multiple levels don't they they've they, they pick off every age group amongst the kids and and even manage to sort of bring in the parents with yeah references. like marvel like marvel would even do like yeah. the, Mar the new marvel spider-man series is great you know perfect preschool show um yeah. and yet but it's, it's that thing of like it once 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 like a, like a six-year-old think that thinks that's for babies then yeah. forget about it like it's just yeah. you know it's, it's but it, but walking that line is very very delicate yeah um and one of our, the last question I wanted to ask is, is there a, a kids media brand that you would love to work with? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to work with Lego. Uh, do you mean media owners or media yeah, brands? Yeah, so Lego is, would be an example. Le okay, so Lego is amazing. And actually, I'd done a book talk with them a while back. And what I was fascinated by is just how they live and breathe their brand. Mm. And you know, they have days of which this was part of um, the day where they, where they just play with Lego. Or when I say just play with Lego, obviously they're doing it in a business context, but they're using play, which is um, an amazing thing that we do as children, then, but then we forget all about when we come to our adult lives. And, and their point, which I really believe in, and again, which sort of ties in with the book is, you know, that you can use play. Kids are amazing at coming up with lateral ideas and actually, they're much better at that than than grown-ups, actually, because they don't have any boundaries or rules. They don't know all the conventions that we've taught ourselves that, you know, things must not be like that. They they will just say, well, the pig can fly. Let, yeah, let's have a flying pig or whatever the sort of thing is. <laughs> and so I love, I love that sort of no boundaries creativity that comes through playfulness. And I love what Lego's done with it. I love the fact they've they've completely reinvented themselves from just about going bankrupt not that long ago yeah. to um, being this absolute, you know, incredible multimedia sort of Yeah, brand. I think they, they still are the biggest kids' toy brand, aren't they, at the moment? Is... I think that's probably... The key uh, thing that... I remember listening to something before, like the key thing that they've just totally embraced, which is very much in line with what you're talking about, is they embrace story, right? Like, Lego blocks are blocks. Yeah. until there's characters and there's a story and there's jeopardy and all that kind of stuff can be involved yeah. um and that's something that they really 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 doubled into um which was which was smart and probably expensive all that licensing but you know it, it's kept them i think that's that's kind of been one of the keys to their success yeah and they, they, they're kind of embrace story and also kind of interact that they just to kind of because of the whole building blocks concept is that the audience as storytellers as well. Everyone's enabled yeah. to be a storyteller, including, you know, the producers and the audience. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's, it's, it's participative, isn't it? And you're sort of, um, they might provide some storylines or a story, you know, the, the, some of the parameters for telling a story, but then you can go and do whatever you want. You can make whatever you like with it. You can, and this, you can reassemble it. And, you know, I think it's just a really good sort of um, lesson for brand building generally. Um, so, that's, yeah, yeah. That's well. That's a fantastic example. Um, I think um, that's a great place to end it. Um, so, thanks again, Andy, for being a, a great guest on our podcast. 
Thank you very much. It's been really good fun chatting to you both. So nice to chat. Thanks, Emil. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you fancy it, you can always leave us a review, which is highly appreciated.